If you would please follow with me as we read the Word of the Lord and we'll have a moment of prayer. 1 Corinthians 16, 5-12 But I will come to you as I, after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that, I may, that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. For I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective service is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Now if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid. For he is doing the Lord's work, as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace so that he may come back, come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. Now concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren. And it was not at all in his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Father, help us to hear the words of this wondrous brother. The Father, the power of your Spirit and your people that we may bow before this, overwhelmed with the privilege and the task that you have set before each of us. Father, help us, please, to be about you, your work, your way. Father, help us to bow before you in humble adoration, humble servants before the King of kings and Lord of lords. Help us, Lord to hear, but Father, help us to be doers of this great and massive work that you set and you have given and you have called and you have empowered to your glory and to your praise, our Son, your Son, our Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen. We are looking at a, a series here that I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, and, and I believe it's sandwiched there between verse 58 of chapter 15 and then verse 10 there, doing the Lord's work, Timothy was, as I am also. And then you see, therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then stuck right in the middle of it is what we're dealing with right now. Included in that is giving. Is doing the work of the Lord. And I know that is the one sermon that all saints line up for is that anytime a preacher is teaching on giving, I want to be a part of that. I need to hear that now. Okay, but we've passed through that. And now we're looking at if we're going to do the Lord's work, the Lord's way. We've already laid a foundation of what is the Lord's work. It falls into two categories. It's either evangelism or edification. All right. It is that simple. I know we like to make it more complicated, but it isn't. That is it. That is all that there is to it. No problem, huh? I want to share with you a story I heard from a guy named Keith Brooks. And um, it had to do with a young man named Edward W. Spencer. And I want you to think about this for a second. Um, while Brooks was attending Northwestern University, um, he had gotten in, involved with a, a thing called a volunteer rescue company. Um, Northwestern is just north. It's Evanston, Illinois. It's just north of Chicago. It's on Lake Michigan. And uh, if you've never seen Lake Michigan, it's like looking at an ocean. It's just not salt water. Okay. It is a, you know, when people talk about lakes, you know, I'm going to go out to the lake. That's what I grew up with. And that's okay. <laughs> All right. And you know, when you can see across the other side of it, we called those ponds. Okay, you had lakes and you had ponds. So anyway, um, he spoke of this guy, and I, th I found it fascinating because it's, a, it's a, a great story, actually. Edward W. Spencer, and he was at Northwestern, this is years ago, preparing for missionary service. Okay, this was back when missionaries had to learn to do sutures, uh, remove appendixes, um, and languages. Okay, uh, because normally what way it used to be, you had your theology intact, you felt the calling, and then you were prepared for the field work, basically. Okay, Edward Spencer was part of this rescue crew, 
Okay, volunteer. It's sort of like uh, firemen on water. All right. Well, during one of the spring storms, a ship called the Lady Elgin broke apart just off the coast um, where this college was, Northwestern. And Edward Spencer noticed a woman floating on debris uh, just off the coast. And he swam out to this lady holding on to this wreckage. And he saved her. But when he got out to her, he noticed many, many more people in the water. So he swam back into the shore carrying this lady. And then he proceeded to swim back out to save more. And he, every time he went out, swam back out, he saw more and more. And he kept going back and forth. Now, I understand there were many guys on this, and, and the Coast Guard was called in and, and a few other odds and ends, but uh, he was one of like the first responders. He came back into the shore his last time, and he collapsed, absolutely exhausted, and on the borderline of delirium, that exhausted. And his brother found him laying there. And Edward looked up to his brother's eyes, and these were his words. Did I do my best? And his brother looked down at him and he said, Edward, you saved 17. And his response was, if only I could have saved more. Okay? I want to ask you a question this morning. The same question that Edward asked. Did I do my best? See, if you're really honest with yourself, that is the only way you can do the work of the Lord. I remember years and years ago when I first joined this church as a very young believer, um, a wonderful man. We were sitting in a Sunday school class and he, this guy is, a, is a, still to this day a proven commodity. He made a statement to me. He says, most Sunday school teachers are a paragraph ahead of their kids, whoever they're teaching, whether it's an adult class, a senior adult class, or, or whatever. He said, that's, that's how it is. But Paul here, in this flow of thought, says, I want you to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. And that's what we've been learning. Okay? You need to understand something. It's not being involved in the ministry. It's not being involved in the work of the Lord. It is to what? Be abounding. Did I do my best? That's the question that's on the table right now. So listen, let's be a parent here. I mean, we can't really... God's work deserves the best. Actually, God's work deserves the very best that we can give it. Right? I mean, I'm not here to try to cajole you into, let's get out and hand out tracts and, and things like that. That ain't what I'm saying. What, what is the work of the Lord? Evangelizing? Edifying. Are you abounding in that work? Labor. It's work. I mean, it literally means the word work there literally means sweat to exhaustion. Wow, you're sounding self-righteous and you sound like you're trying to, you know what? Then you haven't been listening. Okay. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, he says, you are to be diligent to show yourself approved. A workman not ashamed. 
How? Rightly dividing the word of truth. Do you understand that? That phrasing there? Are you doing your best so you don't have a sense of shame when it comes to handling scripture? You, do, do you, I mean, you know, those trips to Russia that I've taken and, and they're phenomenal, but you know what I have learned in it? How much time I waste. When you get over there, especially once you get out of Moscow, you know, and, and when I get down into Oriel, you ain't going to watch TV. Okay? Because for one thing, you ain't going to find anybody that's got one. Okay? You ain't going to listen to the radio because that is purely stimulating to hear Russians singing techno music. You just sit there and go, oh, cool. So all you have, if you want to communicate in your native tongue, is whatever you bring. And it is amazing what I can get accomplished in what I read in seven days of teaching in RL. And it, it, is, it, is, it is absolutely amazing. And then it dawned on me, you know, how much time do I waste? Let me give you some ideas about this. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, beginning in verse 32. But of the day and the hour, no one knows. This is speaking of the second coming of Christ. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Verse 33. Take heed. Keep on alert. For you do not, you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one as his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on alert. Therefore, be on alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning. In case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. That's why I say to you all, be alert. Listen, do you know when Jesus is coming back? But do you understand that text? He gives authority in the house to who? To the slaves. I'm going on a trip. You don't know when I'm coming back and you are to take care of the task that I have given you. I've given you what his task is. What is it? Evangelism and edification. And he will come back and a reward according to each one's work. Be on alert. Why? You don't know when you're seeing. Now think about this for a second. We're rolling into doing the Lord's work the Lord's way out of what text? The resurrection text. I mean, have you ever thought about it? He speaks of the bodily resurrection, the most comprehensive, precise teaching on the bodily resurrection to a Christian that there is in Holy Scripture. And then he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord so that your labor is not in vain. Why? You don't know when you're going to be resurrected. You know what that means? You don't know when you're going to be checked out. You don't know when you're going to see him face to face. I do not want you to be a worker ashamed. You know, people say, well, sounds to me like you're trying to motivate people to do things based on rewards. That's just not right. That, that, that sounds almost baptistic. Really? Try this one. Revelations 22, verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. Hmm. That sounds odd, doesn't it? It almost sounds like Jesus is saying, you need to keep busy or you won't get the present. 
But look what he says. To render to every manning, every man according to what he has done. How, listen, do you understand that how you do the work of the Lord right now is counted to you and will determine how Christ will reward you in glory? You, all of you, it ain't me. Listen, if you guys are trying to get rewards based on me, one of us is in trouble. (laughs) Maybe both. Listen, I got a simple question for you. Are you doing your best? How much time you got? See, Paul comes out of 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection text, and then he moves right into what are you doing? You know, and and if you look at the original text, he's basically telling us we should always be at it. That's abounding. We should always be at it. If I'm not in the book, I'm sharing the book so I can prepare to get back in the book so I can share the book. Listen, if you're not in the book, you don't have to worry about the rest of it. I remember a guy telling me about reaching a lost said, If you're not willing to pray for him, you'll never reach him. Why? Because you have to labor for the soul before you get to the soul. And that's true. Well, I, boy, sure does sound like you're trying to get into some kind of legalistic practice. Well, then try this one. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. For we hear... Now, this is a church. These are the first two letters of the New Testament, chronologically. And, and, and Paul says, we hear something going on in the church in Thessalonica. Now, remember what's going on in the church in Corinth, right? We've got a guy who has his father's wife. We have the Lord's table has turned into a drunken party. We have rich people who show up an hour early for the potluck so they can eat all the good food. So when the poor people get there, there's only the scraps are left. They have perverted the Lord's table. They are running around with a spiritual pride saying, I am of Apollos, I am of Paul. And, and they walk around puffed up, arrogant. They walk around and they're divorcing each other because I think it's more spiritual to be single. And you have single people saying, well, I'm burning with lust. I need a wife or a husband. And this is the church. This is in the church. Here's what he's got against Thessalonica. Verse 11. We hear that among you, that some among you are leading undisciplined, unruly, depending on your translation, lives. Uh Uh-oh. Thessalonica was known for its pornography. So I know what this is. You know what the undisciplined life is he's complaining about? Doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Hmm. We hear of all horrible things. Some of you are not working. Hmm. We are not out there giving. They're not out there giving anything. They're busybodies. They're running around speculating. They're telling tales, if you look at the letter, about the return of Christ. We've missed it. He's coming any minute. I'm not going to do anything. They were failing in their ministries to be accomplishing anything meaningful. They weren't doing nothing. They were busy laying down their tools of trade and they were just running around Talking. Verse 12 says, Now such persons we command and exhort. You know what that means, right? It's, there's no wiggle room. Okay, and if you use the Terry vernacular here, he says, here's my counsel to those that I exhort. Okay, that's the loving way and the passionate way. Command is, I'll hit you in the head. Don't make me come over. That's basically what it is. And he's saying, here's what I want you to do. Be quiet and work. You're sponging off people. Shut up. Go to work. Eat your own bread. 
Well, I don't sound real loving. Yeah. Paul's counsel is, then in verse 13 he says, But as for you, brethren, don't go grow weary of doing good. Don't grow weary. You who are working, don't be discouraged by the dead wood, the dead weight, the people who just suck the life out of you. Don't be discouraged by the busybodies. Don't get discouraged when you say, I'm doing my best and these people aren't doing anything. It's a play on words that he's using here. It's really funny if you look at it, the original language. He, it's, it, it's an onomatopoeic. It's just buzz, 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 buzz. What does it accomplish? Nothing. But they look busy, don't they? He said, but they're not working. And he says, and you who are, hey, don't worry about it. And listen, you've got to understand, in 1 Thessalonians, he says, the testimony of what God is doing in your, in, in your church there in Thessalonica is to the whole Greek peninsula. Everybody's hearing about it. We don't even know who the pastor was. But what God had done, how you had turned from idols to the true and living God. It's amazing how you grabbed the word of God knowing it was the power of the Holy Spirit moving you. So there was amazing things going on in Thessalonica, but even in Thessalonica, guess what? Busybodies. Dead weight. We, they, people get into it. Um, they're not out giving everything. Running around, talking. He says, quit talking. Get busy. Actually, do something. It's an exhortation and a command. Be quiet, get to work. And, 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 And it's funny because he says, those of you who are working, don't grow weary. Why? Listen, let's be realistic. If you have spent any time doing the Lord's work, the Lord's way, It is extremely easy to get weary when you see how many people are quote-unquote floating. And Ephesians 4 says that every saint has been given a spiritual gift. For what? To equip the saints for what? Work. Work. Christ Himself to Ephesus and Revelations 2. He says, I know your work. I know you have labored and you're doing more than you did in the beginning. We are, are to be working. If you see God reveals himself the first time, what is he doing? Working. And I love it because everybody uses, I was created after his image. Then why ain't you working? Well, I was free will. <laughs> we are to be involved. We are to be at it. We are to be abounding. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, Each of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what we have done in the body, whether good or bad. So you who are working, don't grow weary. First Peter says, be sober-minded. What it literally means, be of the right priorities. What is my priorities? Ephesians 5, he tells us that we are to redeem the time. Buy it back. Use it. Why? The Lord will reward you and he will reward you now. You'll get more. I was reading a story about an Olympian. Uh, this is the ancient Olympic Games, and it's the one that, that was based on war. Um, I think it's like the decathlon. Is that the one where you throw the spear? And you had, at one time you had a bow, and you had to run. You got to ride, and all kind of weird stuff. And he had won it. And and, and the the guy f- f- that head over the Olympic Committee at that point in time comes up and says, "Spartan, what will you do now that you are victorious in the Olympic Games?" <laughs> He says, now I go back to my king and I will get to fight in the front lines. That's the way spiritual warfare is. 
if you show yourself worthy and proven commodity in the back, guess what? I knew a guy. He uh, um, has been raised in a military uh, family, and so he was involved in he knew military jargon and stuff like that. And uh, he made a comment one time. He said, uh, I prayed to God that I would be his point man. And all I could think of is, do you know what the point man is? When you're out on patrol, you've got a guy who is out maybe up to a half a mile ahead of you. Okay? And he's the one who tries to get the enemy to raise up their heads. <laughs> and, you know, he, 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 gets, he gets to stumble into the hornet's nest first. But he also has this weird thought when he goes out there at the point, man. He's the first one to be surrounded. He can get cut off before anybody else. All right? But you know what? He knows that if he goes out there, and even if it's just purely sacrificial, it will save the lives of those who are behind him. And I I wondered about that old bird, because I thought, you know, do you realize what you're asking? You want to be the guy who's out taking all the hits, and when he turns around, he may have more enemy behind him than he got in front of him. And what if God answers that prayer for you, Bubba? Then what? You know what? The Lord did answer that guy's prayer. And you know why? Because when he's in the rear echelon, he didn't stop. It didn't matter what he was doing it. He tried to do his best. That's what happens. See, if you really understand that, then you understand that the bigger the challenge, then the bigger the victory. Have you ever thought about Peter? He goes walking into the temple guards with a sword by himself. You got to think about that for a second. There was probably at least 50 armed men and he's got a sword. It's probably not an automatic either. Okay, but you know what? He said, this is my Lord. Now, I think in the back of his mind, he's like, he'll raise me from the dead when they kill me. (laughs) It'll be all right. (laughs) See, listen, that's what brings me. That's why I'm wanting to look at these principles. Do you have a vision? Can look in the body of Christ right now where you serve and see things that aren't being done. And you know what? Most of the time, when you get in that position, your first response is this. I just can't believe that they're not doing that. I I don't understand that mentality. Because the vision will be for the future. What are we doing? If you're the point man, you're looking at those who are coming behind me and I'm going to set a pattern. Okay, because you're also looking at for what is ahead. Second thing was the flexibility. Why? It is as God's will. God wants it to be done. Right? I'm flexible. Whatever you want me to do, Lord. But let me be on my task right now. I'm going to be thorough about whatever it is I'm doing. And I am going to be active in the present. Because if I'm looking at everything I'm going to do for Jesus in the future, you'll never do anything in the present. Which means, guess what? How long is the future, brothers and sisters? Lo, I come quickly and my reward is with me. What if he shows up tomorrow? Are you going to be standing there going, oops? Well, I was really motivated by yesterday's message. But I thought I'd let him get through the whole text so I'd know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, let me tell you something. Everybody in this room knows what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be doing it now. Abounding in it with a thoroughness. Productive. Commitment. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 23, it says, Well done, true and faithful service. You want success in ministry? All I have to ask you is one simple question. What are you doing now? In Luke's gospel, chapter 12, fascinating text. It's really... It's an amazing text, actually. 
Verse 42, Luke 12, 42. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible servant whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at a proper time? What he's talking about here is that when he found the faithful waiter, he makes him a faithful ruler. But if you're not willing to wait tables, guess what? It won't happen. There's a text that people like to banter around and have fun with and they get all cranky about sometimes. It comes out of uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. For what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. See, it ain't a baptistic thing. I ain't here to try to manipulate you into what you're supposed to be doing and what you ain't supposed to be doing. I can simplify it this way. Doing the Lord's work the Lord's way. First of all, it's evangelism and edification. Second of all, you have to have a vision. You've got to see what ain't being done so that you can get after it. You have to be flexible at whatever God plans to do with it. It will happen. And you've got to be committed. If you're not committed to the thoroughness of rightly dividing truth from the beginning, you'll never step into it. All right, how do you evangelize if you don't even know what the gospel is? How do you edify if you haven't read your Bible? You'll never do either one. You'll think about it. And yet, though, the person who is the waiter, the servant who wants to wash the feet, who is willing to cut the grass, to, 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 to paint the building, to change light bulbs, the guy who's willing to just, you know, whatever needs to be done, clean up the table, repair this, fix that, go visit this person, call this person, drop a note here, drop a card here, make sure that I'm available whenever the Lord wants me to be available. I'm there. Here I am. Send me. That person ends up being what? The ruler. Paul tells us here in this letter to the Corinthians that a door was opened for him. You know, one of the things that amazes me about Paul, well, there's a lot of things that amaze me about Paul, actually. But one of the things that is truly amazing about the Apostle Paul to me, he was never discontent about the area of his service. Never discontent about the area of his service. He, he never, uh, uh, never, you just don't see it. It didn't matter if he was shipwrecked, being bitten by poisonous snakes, or if he was preaching in Jerusalem, or if he was in down by the river of the ladies in Philippi who were washing clothes with rocks, he shared with them. He was always abounding and he was always content at the moment at what the privilege was that God had given him for what he was doing. And you know what else he never did? He never used one thing as a stepping stone to something else. You know, if I do this, then I can do this. And if I do that, I can do it. He never led it that way. And the reason that I say that is because here he says here, a wide door for effective service has been opened. See, Paul knew that the door was open and, and, and I can't leave. Why? Because I am committed to this open door. Until God shuts this door, I'm staying right here. We should get that. See, in, in Ephesus, he knew that he gave his whole life. And when God changed that, he'd give his whole life to whatever else he was going to do. He'd already had plans. He would like to take the gospel to Spain by way of Rome. But he, when he got to Rome, he says, I would like to come and do what? Bear fruit with you. I would like to continue the edification of the saints, the equipping of the servants for serving. So we'll all be rulers. He was committed to an open door. He likes that phrase. He made the statement in Acts chapter 14, verse 27, God had opened a door for the Gentiles. 
Second Corinthians 2.12, God has opened a, had opened a door in Troas for the gospel. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, pray for me that God will open the door for the gospel. You know, I see people tell me that I have a door open and it is everything but the gospel. I'm going to go here and do this. I'm going to go here and do this. And I'm going to go here and do this. And if you look at true biblical teaching on what is the open door, what is it? The preaching and teaching of the gospel. It is the preaching and pro- the proclamation and exhortation of the word of God. That is the open door. See, for Paul, wherever there was an opportunity, he was going to go through that door. Somebody wanted to hear me share the Bible. I'll share the Bible with that person until one of us fall over. People say, well, why are you in Russia? Doors open for the gospel. Why are we working in Burma? Doors open for the gospel. Why are we working in Punjab, India? The doors open for the gospel. What about here? What about here? Yeah. I'm here on Sunday nights. Why? Doors open for the gospel. Why am I here on Wednesday night? Doors open for the gospel. Why do we do our Tuesday night thing? Doors open for the gospel. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, there's a church we all know. Philadelphia. Right? And it says there, what God opens, no man can shut. What God closes, no man can open. But he gave accolades to this church. Why? Because they knew they had an open door and they were doing what? Preaching the gospel. You know the church that follows after them? Laodicea. And he says, you know what? The doors are open in Laodicea and you won't go through them. You are neither hot or cold. Let me tell you something. You want to have apathy and indifference and discouragement in your life? Don't walk through the door. Stand there and bellyache about it. There's too many in the body of Christ this day, brothers and sisters, who are too picky. For what they think they're going to do for Jesus Christ. And you know what? He'll stand there and bellyache it and you act just like the church of Laodicea. You know what? The church of Laodicea, he says, I will regurgitate you. It's a fascinating Greek word. You make me want to vomit. Why? Because you're not like Philadelphia. Philadelphia understood that the door was open. See, when God opens a door, the truth of the matter is, His workmanship Unto good works. Why? That he has done. So he opens the door. He expects you and I to go through it. He will empower you to do what he wants you to do. When you get in it. He doesn't open the door and say, well, I hope they go. He has trained you. He has brought you through a course of things in life so that you will go through it. See, you've already been to the proving ground. Why? Because you already had a vision. You already understand that you have to be flexible for what God is doing and your commitment has already been proven. Therefore, there's the door. There's the door. Listen, verse 8, look at this. I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. See, Ephesus was the major city in Asia Minor, what you know as Turkey. Major city. Three miles from the sea, but it had a big river that led out to the sea and it was navigable. So it literally was a port three miles in. All right. Ephesus was classified as one of the seven wonders of the world. The temple of Diana and Artemis was there. And that was classified as one of the great wonders of the world. The Iconian Senate met there monthly. And that was the whole Roman senators for the whole Middle East. That was where their seat of judgment came from. And he says, you know what? A door is open. And he, he, he makes it an effective service. It literally, the literal Greek is energetic service. Productive service. But it's a fascinating city. It was known for its prostitutes. Sorcerers. You know what sorcerers are in the New Testament? Drug dealers. It's pharmacia. <laughs> that's, that's how everybody thought they were doing magic. <laughs> Put this powder up your nose and you'll see things. Magic. 
Okay, but when you see it, sorcerers, magicians, what are they? Drug dealers. Homosexuals. They had a wonderful network of criminals. They are just like any city that you walk into any time in the history of humanity. Is that really a good place for a ministry? Prostitutes, drug dealers, criminals. Door was open. You know what's amazing? And I'll just go through this quickly. In Acts 16, 6, he wanted to go to Ephesus, but the Holy Spirit kept him from going and he ended up in Macedonia. Okay? But he went through Ephesus to get to Macedonia. All right? And he knew then that he wanted to come back. By Acts 18, guess what? He's back in, back in Ephesus. But you know what? God had to have it proven. God had to have it tested. God had to prepare the city. There was a guy preaching in Ephesus when Paul got there. You know what his name was? Apollos. And you know what was amazing about Apollos? He was strong in the scriptures. He was there busting up the ground. But you know what? He had to, Ephesus couldn't have handled Paul. Paul wasn't ready. Why? He had to go to Philippi and get thrown in stocks. He needed to know what suffering for Christ was. What the bondage of being a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul had to be proven too. And then he gets to come back to Ephesus. You've got one man coming in who's loosening up the ground and you had to toughen up Paul at the same time. Listen, if you're not serving right now, you will never step into it. Ain't going to do it. Why? For one thing, you'd be stupid if you really thought about it. And yet all that trouble, God is saying what? Trust me. You want to see effective service for the Lord Jesus Christ? Then step into something that is so far out of your league, so far out of your class, so far out of your talent, your mind, so far out of your abilities, and God leads you, get, who gets credit? I know five pastors right now that are amazing minds for the thing of Jesus Christ. Amazing! They are articulate. They are amazing men. They know history. Some of them have studied archaeology. Some of them have lived in the Middle East for years and years and years and have studied under some of the greatest professors in the world and they're selling insurance. You know why? They literally believe that they were ready to do it. The Apostle Paul learned from his lessons and everywhere he went, he poured his life into it. Think about it. In Acts chapter 13 in Antioch, Syria, there's five pastors. And there's an amazing statement that is made about these five pastors who were there. As they ministered. You know what that means? Plugged in, fired up, and abounding. They're already there. They were pastoring. They were ministering. They were proving themselves faithful. They were learning. They were teaching. See, serving in the body of Christ is not a matter of just getting input. It's proving faithful in output. That's ministry. That's where we're going next, 2 Corinthians. That's ministry. Read that book. That'll just make you smile all over. See, that what you see is, and you don't, and I don't understand this today. Do you understand that stepping into the Lord's work, the Lord's way, will be the single greatest challenge you will ever experience? That's what he's telling us in verse 9. A wide door for effective service is open to me. Cool! I'm where they want to hear the gospel. Oh, did you read why he knew it? There are many adversaries. Oh, wait. <laughs> what? Yeah, there are many adversaries. Listen, if you find a place that doesn't have any problems, you're not needed. Okay? Paul says, I'm staying until Pentecost. Why? 
Because there's many adversaries. J. Campbell Morgan said this. G. Campbell Morgan, sorry. Quote, if you have no opposition in the place you serve, you're serving in the wrong place. Unquote. Listen, find the place of opposition and serve. Serve. You know, I was thinking about my ministry. My first sermon out of the pulpit had people cussing me after the message. I'm thinking, wow, this is is great. Now, at that time, I thought, well, I hate it when I interpret a text and miss it by that much. Okay? But then I remember we had a vote. You guys remember that? Some of you do. We had a vote. They wanted to make me the senior pastor. And I had a group that actually stood up and called my wife a whore in front of everybody. And I was sitting there going, maybe this just ain't the right place. I remember people coming up to me saying, young man, we'll wait you out. Of course, they're all gone. <laughs> See, I have the advantage. Young man. <laughs> <laughs> Old people. <laughs> Chronologically, I have the advantage in this argument. See, Paul understood when you have a tough fight, that's probably where you need to be. See, do you understand that if you have opposition... Perhaps that's why you're there. Perhaps that's why you've been trained. Perhaps that's why your life has gotten to this pattern. See, in Ephesus, there was an organized system of idolatry. That was what the Temple of Diana and Artemis was. And they had also had very grotesque sexual perversion. But they also had this wonderful group of wandering Jews. Okay, not like the flower. Okay, and, and they claimed... To be able to exercise demons. And they were running around casting devils out of everybody. There was superstition or muck. Okay, there was prejudice. There was racism. There was sexual vice. And there was a group in a synagogue who were sitting around plotting how to kill Christians. All in one city. There was demon possession. There was sexual perversion. There was religious prejudice. There was every and anything that you could see in a city in any world today, it was there. And Paul says, this is a good place. Okay. Is that where you want to serve? Where there's opposition? Do you know what's amazing? All of the churches of Asia Minor can be traced back to where? Ephesus. They all flowed from the first church in Ephesus. He taught them, he trained them, and guess what they did? They taught and they trained. And the word spread. You know what? People start burning their cult books. Start running to pharmacists out of town. Drug dealers, sorcerers. Their biggest, one of their largest industries in the city, manufacturing industries in the city, was idols. They built idols to everything. And you know what? People were turning so massively to the teaching of the church in Ephesus that they were quit buying idols and they were putting the idol makers out of business and there was a city-wide riot that run... Paul and his buddies out of town. You know what? The door was so obvious and so open in Ephesus that literally in this city, the gospel became an issue. Paul saw the opposition as a challenge. When you look for ministry, for whatever God has for you, find one. That isn't as it should be. But you better be prepared. See if you're see if you're not the one to change it for God's glory, to change it to his way. You know, people say, well, you know, dealing with 
priestesses and stuff like that. Let me tell you something. Here's a reflection of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. This is what was going on in Ephesus. And this is what was going on with his group. Listen to what he says. For we do, want, we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia. Okay, Asia is Ephesus. That's where he was. Asia Minor. And that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Where is he talking about in 1 Corinthians? He just comes out of the resurrection. He says, you know what? You need to be abounding in the work of the Lord. Oh, by the way, did I tell you that we were near death, but we were in such a hostile place. We were so dependent on God that we even feared for our lives. And guess what? God says, you know, what? he can raise it for the dead. See, God can raise the dead. Fascinating thought. Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever been into a place that you thought well, you were out of your league? I didn't hear an answer. That's what I'm trying to get at. Do you understand this principle? The Word of God spreads only when you step into an area where there's many adversaries and you realize that even in your adversaries, you have no way of defeating this. And once you step into that place, guess what? Who gets the glory? But it doesn't mean you don't have a responsibility. Why? You have to be committed to what? Rightly dividing truth. You need to be diligent. Okay, most people that I know today study the Bible because they think they're going to teach a Bible study. Okay, wrong motive. Wrong motive. Absolutely wrong motive. Let me give you this story again. I just want you to think about this. Okay, you got to be out of your league. You got to be out of your league. A young man named John Payton finished up seminary. Seminary. Okay. Now, back, this is in the 1800s. This is back when you had your theology and you went trade because you're going to be a missionary. And that's what seminary was for. Okay. And uh, he, he had a beautiful young wife and was thrilled to death and was seeking the will of the Lord. And the Lord sent him to New Hebrides Islands. I mean, I always thought it'd be kind of good to start a church in Barbados. Which is definitely better than New Hebrides, because New Hebrides, when John got there, was full of cannibals. Okay? And, you know, if I was in seminary preparing and God led me to New Hebrides, I'm like, why would you want to find a faithful servant and make him food? Why don't you get one of the slackers in the seminary and send him and you won't lose the investment? Right? So... You, you, you have a ship pulls up to New Hebrides and he gets out and they paddle ashore and he begins ministering. This place doesn't even have a language. I'm just still trying to figure out how do you share the gospel with a group that has no language? Okay, let alone written something. Um, within his first year, his wife becomes pregnant. Okay? And she dies giving birth to their first child. And the child dies. He has to sleep on the graves at night so that the cannibals won't raid it and eat his wife and child. But you know what? The New Hebrides is the ones that birthed most of the missionaries that went into southern China. The natives went into southern China. Because even at the death of his wife and his child, he never surrendered. Why? He knew who he was dependent on. There are many adversaries. They're everywhere, brothers and sisters. Jesus says that even some will be in your own home. But if you think you can do it, then you're in a dangerous place. Because it's like, use my, my buddy's illustration of the point man. You get out there as the point man, where's your backup? Well, you hope to get there before. <laughs> it just gets too bad, don't it? But you know what? If you're the point man for Jesus Christ, your backup is with you. Not only that, you're following what he wants done. And he will give you 
His grace sufficient for whatever He has called you to. It's a fascinating concept. But do you look at challenges in where you're serving right now as obstacles or challenges? Paul looked at it as challenges. How do do you take a man like the Apostle Paul with his capabilities and what God had given him three years of teaching in the desert by Christ himself, seeing Christ on the road, and then anywhere he went, he was absolutely content with whatever he's doing because he's totally focused. And yet the whole time he's totally focused, he's always looking at the big picture of what is it being accomplished. That's fascinating to me to read that, you know, an effective door for service is open and there are many adversaries. And then you read about what was going on in Ephesus. You sit there and go, that's just not my place to plant a church. But I would take that over an island full of cannibals. And yet by God's grace, what? We would do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could ever think or imagine. You ever thought about these things? If you're going to do the Lord's work the Lord's way, then you know you have to have vision. You have to see what is lacking and how can I fix it. Okay? No, you don't have to see how you can get a committee together to fix it. How can I fix it? But you've got to be flexible. You've got to be flexible. You don't know what God's plans are and what He's going to train you through that time of service. You have to be committed. One, to thoroughness. Are you committed to thoroughness? Okay. Are you committed now to the task that He has you doing? And then understand this, that it has a challenge. Because see, if I don't have the vision, the flexibility, and the commitment, when the challenge comes, what happens? Listen, how many of you have watched people in the body of Christ on a consistent basis just walk away? I don't have time. You know why they don't have time? They were never committed, flexible, or a vision to the challenge that was set before them. You ever thought about it? When I talk about the challenge, your responsibility in evangelism and in edification is this. Changing a soul And what abilities do you bring to that task? I didn't think so. I am here for the eternal destiny of souls? Oh, okay. How how, how do I do that? Just like I shared. Have vision for it. Be flexible for where God puts you and what He wants you to do. And your commitment has to be to thoroughness. And am I thorough with what I'm doing right now? I will close with this. Have I done my best? That's the question. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for so many men and women of you who have set such a path before us. Father, I just pray that, uh, as, as my brother Paul here shows us wondrous things, that, Lord, that you will help us. Help us to embrace what you have done. Help us to be overwhelmed by what you do. And, Father, please, foremost, let us be dependent on you. Father, your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Father, who are we to counsel you? And yet, Father, we beg you to counsel us to show us your ways and show us great and mighty things that we do not understand. You have done exceedingly abundantly beyond what I could have ever imagined to this day. And yet, Father, there is so much left to be done. And yet, Father, there is so much. (laughs) There is so much that you will do in the days to come. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name, amen.